Greta Gerwig's feature directorial debut, Lady Bird, is largely inspired by her high school life growing up in Sacramento, California. But that's not the only reason why she decided to set the movie there. There was also a mythological quality that California's capital carried for its title heroine, played by Saoirse Ronan. Gerwig is here today with her DP, Sam Levy, and editor, Nick Huey, to talk about their creative process on Crew Call. I want to begin with... um, I want to begin with... That opening shot, mother, daughter, sleeping in a bed, looking at each other. Why did you open with it? Because give it, it, it right there it sets up a piece with them. And throughout the rest of the movie, they're at each other's necks. Yeah. And it could have easily gone later in, in, the, in the movie, but you guys decided to put it up front. I want to start there because that, it's funny because when I rewatched it again, that's 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 the shot. I'm like, well, okay. There's my first. There's my first question. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it had been ri- it had been written that way. I mean, that was the original idea in the script. Was you open on them sleeping, and I think the stage direction said it looked like uh, um, America sought ripoff of a mother daughter. Um, like like happiness together. Like that there was some something um, very painterly about it and and then like the thing that happens right after when they're in the hotel room and Marion's making the bed and Ladybird's looking at herself in the mirror it felt those two things also felt like a kind of you get a lot of character in a really short amount of time and that you start from this place of love and then it goes awry well while we were planning the shooting and while we were we were shot listing and go fi- trying to figure out how to start it I, I went through a couple of iterations of messing around with different openings because I think in some ways the closer you get to doing something the more you question <laughs> what it is you're doing especially an opening shot um, or closing shot because you feel like this is the big this is how we're setting the tone and I think I, I played with cutting straight into the car and they're fighting I played with the fight happening somewhere else besides the car but I think what we find when we finally came back to it it was like we'll get so much real estate by seeing them being in a loving situation with each other that that felt right. And then when we shot in the hotel room, we'd planned the shots, but then the hotel room itself was just oddly, stunningly beautiful. And mm-hmm. and the way that they looked sleeping together and then the way that they looked in the second shot, they, it was just, it was always... It felt it, it felt like we made the right decision right away when we were shooting it, or that's how I felt. I felt it, it was one of the first things we talked about at all. I mean, it is the first scene was that scene, Mary Cassatt, uh, that they're in bed together, and also the second shot when they're on the bed. I, distinctly remember you getting so excited when we were shooting like this is it this is it and which is always great when you know as a dp um and just that's you know greta's energy is always wonderful on set and all of us were got really excited because she was excited but it was also something that was very deliberately planned from the get-go even though there were the other the other iterations mm. it was it ended up being Pretty much exactly what we talked about first. And like then. months and months prior. And then um, we did end up shooting coverage for it 
But then when we were putting it together, it just to, to go in close to Ladybird's face always felt kind of like not where we wanted to be at that mm -hmm. moment. Yeah. Yeah. So Greta, tell us about your team. Mm. Sam Levy here. Yeah. And Nick Huey. Mm -hmm. You worked with Sam on Noah's movies, mm -hmm. Francis Ha and Mistress America. But what what tell tell us yeah. about getting this this creative team together. Sure. Well, Sam Sam and I had worked together on Francis Ha and Mistress America, like you said, that Noah and I had co-written together and that I had acted in and Noah directed. And I was th those movies were so small in terms of crew that it was I I'd I spent so much time with Sam, even in like camera testing for Francis Ha, like, but just really early in the process. Um, I think that was the first time we met. And mm -hmm. and then um, we had also made a movie together with Rebecca Miller, which was called Maggie's Plan. And, um, and, and it was, I mean, it, it's always good to see this, sort of watching him work with a different director who had a different, visual style who had different sort of priorities in terms of like how she wanted to present performances and what you know it's always interesting to see someone do things with different it's like watching an actor work with different directors and then um but i knew right away i was going to be sam i mean i i didn't there wasn't a plan b really <laughs> I, I i gave him i feel like i gave him a, i gave you a lot of outs there were a lot of caveats in my presentation of the script but the truth was <laughs> I don't know what I would have done. If said <laughs> it was very sweet. Greta said, oh, "I've written a script. You don't even you don't have to look at it. And if you do look at it, you don't have to do it. But it's about Sacramento, and it's like it's going to be amazing. Like, yeah. just give it to me. And then I think three or four days later, we were yeah. we were shot listing. We were shot listing, and and um, and Nick came to me through uh, Jen Lame, who is uh, who's worked with Noah Baumbach as an editor. And she and she also she did she edited Manchester by the Sea, but she's done all of Noah's movies since Francis Ha, and she's she's great. She's a great editor. And we were talking, and she said, "I have this friend Nick Hui. I think you guys would really get along and really like each other." And he read the script, and we met, and. I think I mean we I felt like he understood it right away like he understood the rhythm of what what everything was in the script and then I remember I was getting notes from producers and at the same time and trying to figure out how to make this work for for a budget and you know there's always cut ideas <laughs> you know they always say maybe cut this maybe cut that and I uh, and Noah actually suggested to me he was like why don't you just send the ideas to Nick and see what he says? Not that you have to do what he says, but it'd be interesting to see, like, because editors can usually be really smart about, like, about changes to the script because they are the people who have to then take all that material and construct something. And there was one particular scene, which was the scene in the hospital, um, like that she, when she wakes up after, you know, that she, she gets taken to the hospital, she wakes up, then she sees the boy sitting across from her and, kind of has a moment of like, that's him, this is me, oh my God, I am I am who I am. And I remember you wrote in an email, You he said, you can't cut that sequence because it's so surreal. The, the thing that's happening is so, like you never expect it to happen, but it's kind of exactly perfect that she winds up in this hospital. And he was like, it just is this ratcheting up of like, what's going on? And um, there was something about the way that you talked about that. I was like, he knows 
what I'm trying to do from the inside. Totally. Um, and that was sort of how we found each other. <laughs> yeah, I felt that way all throughout. Just even reading the script, it was like, oh, you speak the exact same language. Like, it just all clicked and made so much sense every yeah. every single beat. So it was, it just felt like a kindred spirit in that way. And we were able to just kind of hit the ground running rather than have to play any kind of catch up. Like, what do you mean by this scene? Or what do you mean by this line or whatever? Yeah. yeah. And also having a common language of like, you both hate the same things. Right. That's, <laughs> no, that's really yeah. helpful. Like if you don't hate the same things, you're like, uh oh. <laughs> right. like, like if you see something and, and they're like, I love it. And you're like, yikes. <laughs> totally. um, but I feel like we hate the same things. Mm-hmm. And we also love the same things, but it's easier to, it's easier to like sort of, bond over what you hate (laughs) and if somebody hates or loves something you really hate it's like really unsettling yeah really unsettling (laughs) so the comedy in the script if we could talk about both visually and in and in terms of editing what's interesting is um the scene with the dress where she oh that's beautiful it's so great the way you shot that it's they're behind the rack Mm -hmm. yes yes a very normal scene but there's something very comedic about it. It's mm-hmm. almost like there's a st- there's a stage and there's the clinging. Yes, yes. Part of the comedy is is the clinging of the sound mm-hmm. of of the hangers and mm-hmm. and then when she raises it, mm-hmm. I, I, I was wondering if you could talk about that scene in particular and and, and in general, just the comedic timing of um, the entire. You know, and, and you know it doesn't. You know, it, the the jokes come so easy and so organic. Mm. Well, the the I mean, for all the scenes, but that scene is a good example of it. I mean, we we were. I never wanted us to shy away from the feeling of having a proscenium and feeling like they were performing on a proscenium. So the kind of not you know it it wasn't you know we dolly with them, so we move with them. Um, but we don't, but we, but we have almost a sense of this is the box that they're performing in. And I like that sense. I, I think some directors, it freaks them out, but that was something that I really liked and we talked about a lot. And I think for me, I think where I come from as a person who loves comedy, like I, I go back to like, Howard Hawks and Preston Sturges and kind of like wide shots where people are walking in and out and kind of talk and like you see their whole bodies as they're performing and it's funny in in a way that feels closer to theater somehow. What's great about working with these guys is uh, and particularly in planning that scene was we didn't really have to plan the comedy of the thing or how to shoot the joke or light the joke and uh, it just the, the the words and the scenes have this innate comedy to them, but there's also a great sorrow to the story. And that's what I really gravitated towards was the, the the sorrow of the the mom and the daughter having a fight. And then you know for, for that scene, we we looked at a photo by William Eggleston, which had these fluorescent lamps in them, and. Um, it just kind of got infused into that scene. It was also this amazing location, uh, this great thrift store in Sacramento that Greta brought us to that was just like so well curated with clothes and these amazing people worked there. And, you know, the lives of others were totally imbued in the image because of all these great clothes, which are 
curated. And then because and what's great about that scene and the proscenium of it is it, it's not all just one piece. It's, you know, there's a wide and then there's close-ups of the two and then they shift positions, which, which I really love. I feel like Greta blocked that impeccably. And then Nick cut it, picked just the right moments to cut into it so that the the musicality of Greta's dialogue was, was, was totally what I was focused on. Never, we never really had to worry about how we were going to make this funny. I just mm-hmm. always was confident that mm-hmm. it's, if it's meant to be funny, it will. If it's meant to be sorrowful, it will. It's just, and it just from the moment I read it, I was like, this is so dynamic, and and so much of that comes out of Sacramento, mm-hmm. um, which is just. I think yeah, I think what you were saying too about like the the sort of. I mean, with the actors, I would always say, don't play the comedy, play it truthful, and it will be funny. And I felt like the same way we ha- we approached the images, like, let's make it lush and beautiful and cinematic. And do- and again, like, don't worry about lighting it as a comedy. Don't. That's not something we, it will take care of itself. And then I think for Nick, I feel like for me, what was so nice about the thing of like hearing the script is it's so tightly scripted it's so word for word exactly what I wrote because I think in film often editing is a step like editing establishes the rhythm and in theater uh, language establishes the rhythm and I'm sort of a weird hybrid because I like language to establish the the rhythm and then the editing to sort of like play a a counter beat (laughs) Um, but it's a hard thing to totally describe to someone I'm like I don't want you to disrupt the rhythm that's happening but I want it to be a syncopation with what's happening. And I don't know how to describe how he did that, but I just felt like you always heard the way the scenes should play. Yeah, and then John Bryan did too. It was amazing. <laughs> it was like exactly what we were talking about. Is you should be able to kind of sing. You would say, I want to be able to kind of sing along with the scene, the rhythm of it. Mm-hmm. And then, But you don't want it to get boring or like feel like a metronome. No. So you have to shake it up. And, and it's totally just, you know, emotion based it's not you can't like it's like dancing about architecture or whatever yeah you can't really describe it it's just like you either feel it or you don't right. and so we just had to do trial and error but it was so beautiful it, was, it wasn't too crazy difficult it was and just it, fun and also about the comedy what's interesting is we never did really a big screening until we showed it at telluride <laughs> so I think the biggest screening we'd had, which was by far the biggest screening we'd had, was like 60 people. And then all of a sudden in Telluride, when we premiered it, it was like a, a room of about, what was it, like a thousand? It was a big room. It was, so. it was, yeah. it was a big room. And all of a sudden, these joke, the, the jokes that I thought would play, played, which was great. Yeah. Um, but it, it was that feeling of, we, <laughs> We didn't cut it to test audience. We didn't mm-hmm. we didn't wait for laughs. So the movie just keeps moving, which was by design. But you know, it was that feeling of like it's just gonna keep picking up speed because I wanted it to have that feeling of like time rushing into itself. But for comedy, I think maybe if you were planning your cut around test audiences, you'd be like, hold for a laugh here, mm-hmm. hold for this there. And we never did that or tested <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it but it was kind of when we showed it at tell you right it's like i hope people laugh because otherwise this is going to be a big room of quiet people <laughs> did you shoot in natural light uh 
Mostly not. I mean, the, like, the, they're, there's, there's a wonderful shadow. There are wonderful shadows that mm. occur throughout the movie, mm. and and that's why I was that's why I was uh, curious about that. It, it was there's some scenes that have some available light, such as the day exteriors, but most of the movie, particularly where there's coverage and we had to shoot over the course of a day, it's lit to to look as though it were available light, but we had to do some kind of light management because the available light would shift throughout the day, such as when we were at Ladybird's house. Like when Danny uh, Lucas Hedges comes over for the first time and meets the parents, It's we did that for most of an entire day. And the idea was to allow the space to feel as though it's available light, but and, and it has great light. In, in the in the space, that's why we shot there. But because the shadows shift throughout the course of the day, we had to kind of be smart about where we put, you know, soft light coming in and, and keep it continuous. And that, that was a scene that was deliberately uh, covered, or you know, where there, there's multiple shots so that it could be modulated. Mm-hmm. Um, that the tempo of the scene could be modulated. So uh, the lighting really comes out of the sense of Greta's great theatricality, which is which, I, which is what I love about working with Greta, is she's not afraid for things to have a theatricality to them, whether it's the actual play uh, that happens within the movie or just the performances themselves um, aren't, you know, there's, there's, it's very deliberate and planned and rehearsed and staged, and, and I love that. And, and Nick certainly, like, through the modulation of the edit brings that out. And, and the lighting comes with mm. all of that. So, you know, the, when there's the high school play, which has these these big theatrical lighting cues, certainly that's not available light. And then we tried to construct, an, a, you know, a lighting and a color arc so that it would, you know, like when you're with the cool kids, like <laughs> Timothy Chalamet or uh, Odea Rush, it's kind of like silvery blue and like a flashed milky black and when you're with the the theater kids the so-called kind of nerdier kids it's like butterscotchy yellow um as a long answer i was gonna no I, it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's interesting the, the the i noticed the blues i noticed yeah. the blues and the tans throughout the blues yeah. prominently like when they that thanksgiving when they come back from their thanksgiving mm. partying and they're eating and and, yeah. and the mother walks yeah. in. She's in a blue robe. Yeah. The grandmother's house is yeah, blue. There's blue. a lot. There's, there's a lot of blue. There's a lot of blue. And then there's pink. Yeah. What is? Yeah. Tell me. Tell me about the color palette. Well, the color palette. Um, uh, we, we looked at a lot of uh, paintings actually as references. Um, uh, Wayne Thiebaud, who's a Northern California painter, and Gregory Condos, who's also a Northern California painter. And they both, they did images of San Francisco, but also the Sacramento Delta. And they have this kind of quality of, it's almost like dense masculine pastels mm. that feels like they belong in the 20th century. Um, that It felt like that was a, a way to, ta- to, sh- to show this place that... Um, is specific and the specific sort of like we'd always talk about northern california light and the way that you know southern california has this too but it's a slightly different quality but this kind of like dark interiors and then the light coming through and the feeling of like this brightness outside and the darkness inside and and in in sacramento you've got these networks of rivers so 
the blues and the yellow and the sky, all, all of those paintings and photographs really bring that out. And um, so those paintings, there's a Gregory uh, Condos has beautiful pictures of the delta and just the kind of the the horizon being low and filling up most of the the painting and and then Wayne Thiebaud he has these paintings of Sacramento but what he also has is he painted a lot of cakes and ice creams and lipsticks mm-hmm. and 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 even though they are not objects that are um they're not in you know, the Sacramento landscape, they somehow to me echo the Sacramento landscape and the colors. And um, that was something with Chris Jones, our production designer. Uh, we looked at a, a lot of stuff and I, I always wanted that kind of, that those colors to be, to be in it and to inform it. And I think sometimes with, with production design and, and, and working with Sam and um, April Napier, who did the costumes, it's, you <laughs> You kind of it's 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 again about developing the same language and the same references in our heads, so that they're making intuitive choices, but the intuition is coming out of the same place. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I I love those colors and I love that kind of palette. And I like for for example, in the house, um, the I was looking as we looked at about fifty houses. Um, before we found Lady Bird's house. And I wanted very specifically, there's this tile work that was done in uh, houses that were built after World War II. It was part of the first agri- the pr- first boom of the suburbs. The, yeah. The diamond, was the it diamond, the diamond shape? The diamond yeah, shape. And I noticed it's in, that. It's in the kitchen and it's in the bathroom. And it was so hard to find a house that had this old tile work because most people have renovated their houses. So they got rid of all those old, you know, n- 1949 tiling. And so when we finally found it, it was it was great and they are always in those colors they are always in those in that palette and then with ladybird's room like we we tried a bunch of different colors and we were looking for something that had you know, the, again the dense masculine pastel but something that felt like a color she would have chosen as a child that now she's grown out of and that she layered her future self over her past self and then she sort of disassembles the whole thing but all of those color choices it's like it, it's 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 building the same language and building the same palette with people. You you had mentioned uh, to me previously that there was a cut. I had asked what were the films that inspired you mm. in shooting it. One of them was a John Houston. I, I was wondering if you could mm. expound on it. One was a, uh, a John uh, Houston movie. Oh oh yeah, we were uh, Fat City. Um, Sam can talk about Fat City eloquently. Um, that has a lot of great yellows and blues. And it's interestingly, it's it was shot in Stockton, California, in the mid '70s, early to mid '70s. And Greta pointed that out, which I'd never really thought about. That Stockton and Sacramento are not too far away from each other, even though the the era was long before our story in 2002. And there's we we looked at it, and there's a lot of um, minty green and and blue walls and naturalistic kinds of lighting and just very it's a very evocative film about boxing and alcoholism that has (laughs) it has it has like nothing to do on the surface with it but for some reason also when i want i remember when we looked at it together and i was watching it i was like this is 
the feeling of it felt close, like this sort of valley town, like the like agricultural valley town, and kind of yeah, like the haunted quality of the haunted quality of Northern California and a a city that is also a small town, mm-hmm. and how that can it can be haunting on on screen when I when I first. Uh, was in Sacramento when we made Francis Ha together. Um, I just walked around the city and I thought, God, it'd be amazing to do a whole movie here. And it was because it has this haunting kind of small town quality in a big city that's also the capital. It just felt to me like there's there's ghosts there, which is innately cinematic. And, and Fat City has that quality also. And what was happening, I guess, when they filmed Fat City was a, a, an overpass was being built in Stockton. So it was a city that was kind of about to be demolished. So it had even more of a haunting quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, just, I always felt about Lady Bird that despite it having comedy, that there are great stakes to what what's happening to these characters. That, that you know, there's great, you know, like the, the, the mother's terrified because she feels she might lose everything and at the same time uh she's interacting with her daughter and helping her to apply to school but she's really terrified and that really struck a chord for for me that's kind of that was my 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 anchor was like the, the the sorrow and the the, the terror that, that the mom feels. And Greta has this great way of describing um, certain scenes and what, what people are saying. And I always felt this. What, what people are saying isn't exactly what they mean. And it's not exactly, it, it's sort of, it's important, but not in the way you might think. Like we, we need to understand what they're saying, but not in this direct way. So a great example Greta gives is uh, when she's dressing down her daughter for her room being messy. Um, and she's just really laying into her. But in fact, she's just afraid they're going to lose everything because uh, she's just come from sort of breaking down the, the Cobra payments that her husband might get because he just lost his job and maybe their insurance, which, and yeah. Yeah. It's a uniquely yeah. American problem, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Fat City, too, has like a... You know, it's because it's this older boxer and a younger boxer has this quality of like lost dreams and the people who haven't lost them yet. And I think California in general has got a, a, in terms of ghosts, it's got some lost dreams. It's and and the quality of lost dreams is different depending on what place you're in. Los Angeles has a lot of lost dreams of a certain kind, Um, but so does Northern California. So does San Francisco, definitely. And and Sacramento does too. I mean, Sacramento was a place that came up because of uh, the gold rush and and how that happened. And and then, of course, later the Dust Bowl, which we reference in the um, Grapes of Wrath that they're listening to, of like, there has got to be a better life and maybe I will strike it rich. Maybe I will be a gentleman farmer or get gold. Or And I think these, these things, these mythologies about places actually seep into how people think about themselves in their lives. And it's an interesting, different kind of mythology that California has than, say, Connecticut has. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, it needed to be set in, I mean, aside from yeah. it being inspired by your life, but it needed to symbolically be set in Sacramento. Yeah. Not Bridgeport, Connecticut. No. Not, not New Orleans. 
No. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. No, it's interesting. When we were when we were working on like figuring out how to shoot it and everything, there was a, a whole discussion of can you write it as a different city? Can it be just because of like tax breaks or you know this and that? It's like it would be cheaper to shoot it in Ohio. And I was like, <laughs> but I don't know I don't know the mythology of Ohio the way I know mm-hmm. the mythology of California like I can't this is a California story in its bones and if I shift it it'll just feel arbitrary and I feel like the more specific something can be the more universal it can be totally. mm-hmm. the one uh, shot that the first shot that that left with me that I, I have to talk about and it's my favorite shot in the movie is when the mother's trying to get into the bathroom and the drawer blocks her. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, I can relate relate, relate to that on a thousand levels, <laughs> you know, being a teenager, <laughs> as a teenager. Can, if we could talk about that. Yeah. yeah. It's just a great, just one of my favorite shots in the movie. Yeah. Well, there's the realities of living in a one bathroom house. <laughs> and um and I think too, I mean the the this I think it, it, like this again, it's the specifics of like how do you do that if there's not a lock and it, you know and then you pull out the drawer and everybody knows that. Like everybody knows what that is to sort of and then that scene is so tender that follows between Marion and Ladybird and um and and we always I, I feel like what we talked about this a lot when we were shot listing is um, we always wanted to tell the story as economically as humanly possible. Like, you know, um, you know, she th- that scene starts with she walks in with the yearbook looks at Kyle, gets in the tub, you know exactly what she's doing (laughs) because you've heard about it before. And then it cuts to the pills, then the door. And just this sort of feeling of like, we are showing you exactly what we want to show you at every moment. And it doesn't feel like um, the camera's just casually picking things up. It feels like this is a story and this is a story. Every single thing you look at becomes how you build the story and just, you know, when the door opens and that sound, it, it's like that's you get so much story just visually from that. And and then I loved. I mean, the bathroom was small, so we had to shoot it this way. But but it also the the sort of the getting the two of them in the mirror in the two shot when they're talking. It, I just I I love the way it looks and it, it the whole thing of those little storytelling moments. Um, it's just that quality of precision that I look for and that I like. And I'm always pleased when the water running in her feet up on the tub gets a laugh and then the mm-hmm. drawer gets a laugh because it's like it's like it's like leaving um, little little treats, little side things crumbs. for people, little crumbs for people. <laughs> and um, every moment is cared for. How many cuts of the movie did you do? <laughs> a million? Yeah. <laughs> Always do yeah until it's until it's perfect. <laughs> like a lot. I mean, it was yeah. always ref- it was always sort of like working the same cut. I would say it's like bringing it from ninety five percent to one hundred percent. Like over, you know, it was yeah, so great already. It was just working with great stuff and trying to make it the very best it could be. Right? But it wasn't like we went. We didn't do big like changes. I'd say mm-hmm. it wasn't like we had a cut of the movie that then we had to like totally reorganize. Mm-hmm. Like it's very close to what the script is. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it, I mean, there, there were a couple things we decided to lose, but I feel like we even lost some of those really early. Yeah. And then it was just honing it. It was about honing mm -hmm. it and then going back through in every single scene as being like, let's watch all those takes again. Was there a place where this, or did, could we get a run in the wide? Or, you know, mm -hmm. it, like you kind of go through every moment and try to maximize it. But it wasn't, it wasn't like vastly reimagined. It's not like we took out like a, a storyline. No. <laughs> How did you work together? Because I know some some directors are in the editing bay with their editor, and others are like, "Hey, go off, cut this, come back to me," and then mm. you take a look and you give macro notes. How did How did the two of you work together? Well, I, I mean, there were, I felt like early he was sort of like, "Give me a minute with this." Um, put on the and then yeah. and then and um, so early there was a give me a minute, but I was mostly there. Mm -hmm. I was mostly just sitting on the couch, more like reclining completely <laughs> on the couch like, yeah. behind him. I was just I was like, there's something about I I don't like sitting that mm -hmm. much. I like walking and I like laying down. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I would just be completely laying down on the couch, and then you know we we I just sit there. I think. It's hard for me to know. Somebody said, um, I think Noah said, he's like, if I don't know how something's put together, it's hard for me to know how to fix it. Right. So I think even just sitting there sometimes when you would be like, just if I'd give a note and then you were working through how you were going to put it together, mm -hmm. I, I sat there mostly, I'd yeah. say. No, it was great. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was like there were a couple times you kicked me out. <laughs> I was just sometimes I'd be like, I actually have to just be alone because I'm going to go to some very strange places to like get to where we need to be. <laughs> you know, like I'll do really strange things sometimes just to if I know I need to break something apart to put it back together, and I want to feel completely uninhibited to go to places that you wouldn't normally go or even want people to know you're going because you just have to go there and it might look terrible and sound terrible while you're doing it but sometimes that's how you get the best thing yeah. so it was like literally just i just physically need to be alone to go there and yeah. she was totally great about that and understands that part of the process yeah like an actor would do or whatever uh, yeah i think sometimes you need i mean my favorite part of filmmaking is that it's a collaborative art form and i feel like i never want people to be executing something for right. me <laughs> i want i want them to be, I, I want it to to to, to rhyme with what I think it should be, but I don't want it to be like this is my plan and just follow my plan because otherwise I don't know why you you would need them yeah. in particular. You would just need somebody who could execute what you wanted. Um, and I like people bringing their own art to it. Um, and yeah, sometimes that requires alone time. I knew we were going to be okay because very early he just did something incredibly f f what we think. He just added a fart to a character <laughs> that we, it made us laugh so hard every time we saw it. And we cut it. We ended up, it was like not the tone of the movie. Was but it? for some reason, I'm not even going to tell you, but for some reason, every time it came on and it was just the fart came on, we yeah. died. And we were like, it's, and it, and then I remember I was leaving one day and I was, like, I was like, this is actually like when my, you know, my mom dad and brother and sister like you know I'm like I want to make movies and stuff and I was like this is actually what they thought I was doing is just sitting around deciding whether or not to add farts <laughs> exactly. like, like the, they, when they're like why do you want to do this what does it add to the world <laughs> um, they, they're imagining that um, but I knew I was like even though we cut it it was like that's 
we have the same it's part of the process i don't know we have the same <laughs> level of boredom <laughs> in, in some ways with your own thing and you're like what if we just add that <laughs> if it gets you like thinking about the scene differently and thinking about the movie like yeah you know certain way it's yeah it's the, i mean it's like you any job to. yeah it's, it's a way to do it but i i had watched i've seen every single every single take and every single moment of all the footage because i i don't know how you to, to put it together without it because otherwise you feel like there's something on the floor that you missed and you're mm -hmm. like this is the this is the material with which we have to put this together mm -hmm. i need to know what's there otherwise um i'll wake up in the middle of the night and be like oh, what if we missed it <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> so um you you were mentioning the first audience that that really saw this was telluride yeah how did you know that it was working where you could step back did you did you assemble a group of friends mm -hmm. to give to kind of give notes well nick and i would um we when we first had a cut we were feeling not like a hundred percent about but like this is pretty good mm -hmm. we started doing screenings of like two people mm -hmm. um who would just come in the edit room and they'd sit there and they'd watch it and I found that was like really valuable for a few reasons. One of which was, I uh, you lose the ability to almost watch your movie after a while. Mm -hmm. And when I had two new people sitting and watching, I was able to see it with their eyes. I think if I have a gift as a director, I do. I am able to like, I have a good empathy radar, and I'm like, <laughs> that's what they're feeling right now, and it's like I can feel it along with them. And then. The notes that they would give, sometimes we'd take, sometimes we wouldn't, but it was more like looking for patterns. Like, mm -hmm. did this come up more than once with different people? Is there confusion? Mm -hmm. I think that was a big part of it. And then we do these smaller things. Uh, I, th I guess we had a couple screenings where there were about 20 people, mm -hmm. but not, but it's like a trusted group. And yeah. yeah, and then, and we would try out notes often. Totally. And it's just about honing it again. Like we got a couple times we got some line that Laurie was doing in the bathroom where we were like, oh yeah, like that really is throwing people in a slightly wrong direction. And it's a great scene, great line, but we let's take it out. And it just improved that scene a million times. So it's just, it's whittling it down till it's perfect. And that does take time and it takes other points of view sometimes that they don't even say it. You have to like get it out of them sometimes. And then you found it and you fixed it. And it's, it's something that some people never even knew was there, but they're, yeah. they're glad it's not anymore. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And the other thing is that like sometimes when people respond, it's like you don't want to take the note literally because mm -hmm. sometimes they, what they're saying, if they're saying like this didn't work for me, what they mean is something two scenes earlier didn't work right. for them. You like they're not and yeah. and the moment when they're acknowledging that it didn't work is not the problem's not with that moment the moment is you got to fix the first part mm -hmm. so you have to interpret every note you get mm -hmm. um oh that's interesting i never thought about that yeah it's all about I think the rhythm it's the all emotion. about the rhythm yeah. Yeah. yeah is that is that in filmmaking in 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 general i think it's all in all filmmaking and i think all that's story i think that's yeah. one of the problems mm -hmm. with um doing, I think test audiences can be really helpful, obviously, for people, but I think it can be a problem with taking notes literally. Mm -hmm. Because when somebody literally, they, they say, oh, I'm literally not crying in this moment. And people are like, we have to fix that moment. And you're like, no, that moment's okay. Mm -hmm. You gotta build to it right. Mm -hmm. They'll cry mm -hmm. if you've built to it right. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I think sometimes there's a real, like, lack of art in interpreting notes. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to get better at um, hearing it and saying like that's and and saying like no, but they're responding to something over here. Totally. Um, 
I mean, I, and of course we'd get notes from our producer. Um, Always very helpful notes. Who was, it was amazing. He was great. Yeah. Uh, Scott Rudin and Eli Bush mm-hmm. both have really smart, uh, really thoughtful notes, and 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 they're not. Um, they're in, in, intu- they are intuitive and 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 they're not they're not presenting solutions they're just like can we can we get more out of this is there mm-hmm. there's a lot of can we get more out of this <laughs> and Which sometimes is great. that's what we're aiming for and yeah. sometimes there's not more to get but sometimes <laughs> there is <laughs> um, but yeah I, I I do think there's an art to timing how to show it to people when to show it but we really there was. I always call it, I, I told this to John Bryan, who did the score. Um, I have this phrase. Um, it's called the cloak of certainty. <laughs> <laughs> and the cloak of certainty is not that your movie can't be criticized. I mean, somebody could easily criticize it, but it is it is as much as itself as it can be. Right. So you yeah. have your cloak of certainty of like, we know what we've made. You can like it or not like it, but we are certain. Right. And that's and every uh, moment rings true to yes. itself. Yes, that's the goal. Right? Yeah, that's the goal, and that's that happens with like every shot, every performance, every it kind of you have to build it um, sort of toothpick by toothpick mm-hmm. and make it all have integrity, and then you can put on your cloak of certainty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's important too. Yes. In, in the beginning, the. Grad and I tried as best as possible to really be thinking about transitions within scenes. And then what by the time Nick gets with it, none of that really matters and he has to evaluate it unto itself. But it is important that when we're planning and we're shooting that we anticipate editorially mm-hmm. how things will transition. And to Greta's point about building to something, that ideally should happen right away. Like three days after she showed me the script, that was of primary concern, was that um, these transitions need to work strongly, strongly, seamlessly, dynamically, such that the viewers so engaged that they're, they're not thinking about anything. They're just not thinking about anything. They're just totally swept up. And, and then also, you know, one... When you're making something, when, when we feel good, that's part of the cloak of certainty. It's like <laughs> if, if we if we feel good about something, usually or hopefully other people will feel yeah. good. But if but if someone says, "Well, I'm not so sure about the lighting of this or the tempo of this cut," it, when when we feel good, it's like we can say, "Well, you know, we feel good." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then definitely mm-hmm. and definitely like when you're taking notes and stuff. I mean, or or looking. Like dealing with different people, like like people I respect immensely, like they great filmmakers would occasionally be like, I think you should cut this and move this over here, and that you have to be able to take that in and be like, you know, no, <laughs> I hear you, but actually that's not right for this movie. That's great, and that's but that's a you have to kind of develop that internal gauge, and it's not because you don't respect what they're saying. It's just like you know the way we were deciding to shoot it, and the way we were deciding to edit it, and the way it was put, being put together. It's like no, you're great, but this is actually not your movie. Um, and I and if it's not, if we don't have that feeling, it doesn't matter that how you would do it. Um, Last question: <clears throat> Are you planning on working together again? I mean, they better. Very soon. <laughs> they 
better. Um, I, I feel like if they, if I feel like, no I feel like I'm going to call both of their agents and it'll be like, it's a pass. He didn't connect with this one. He didn't connect. Um, no, I feel like we got such a rhythm. I mean, me and Sam on set and then us in the editing room, it felt like, I felt like, oh, I want to do this again right away. And it would be such a waste if this was the only one we did together. Do you have a project in the wings, but you can't talk about it yet that you're going to yes. direct next? <laughs> yes, all of those things are true. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't talk about it yet, but oh, hello. Um, <laughs> yes. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Crew Call Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, make sure to subscribe for this and all other Deadline podcasts in the Podcasts app, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week.